So why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19, and today I'm going to talk about marriage and divorce. Yep, that's kind of how it went over last night. I'm going to talk about marriage and divorce in the context of church and Christianity, if you will. And, um, and, and I'll start by saying this is a, we got a lot of questions on this. We live in a culture where over 50% of people in our, in our, in our nation have been divorced. Uh, marriage as a whole is on the decline. Most people now are living together or they're in domestic partnerships. Um, and less and less people are getting married. And marriage always affects uh, a culture or a society. And in fact, uh, where marriages decline, culture and society decline. And you can actually follow studies. This is not something I dreamed up. Um, and where there are healthy marriages, um, and, and then, then the culture usually thrives and succeeds. And, and so it is no wonder that I feel like Satan not only attacks marriage, but now he's trying to, he, well, he has attacked the definition of what marriage is. And, and it almost now we have a culture that feels like, oh, that's outdated and it's not necessary. Um, and it's because people really don't understand that marriage is not an institution created by the United States of America. Marriage was created and brought into existence thousands of years before the Constitution of the United States of America. And America did not define marriage, nor does America have the power to vote and redefine marriage. And, and I think that we're confused anytime we stray away from God and from His Word and from His truth. Obviously, it's going to result in some really bad things. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I got a lot of questions about marriage and divorce because remember one, one out of, um, one out of two people have probably been through a divorce and the church has probably not done a very good job of communicating clearly what the Bible says. And I want to say right now, when I said divorce and remarriage as Christians, probably half of you went right to a scripture and even the words of Jesus. And, and sometimes as a church, we're really good at quoting a scripture. In fact, most of the time, if we don't have a scripture to quote, we freak out. And, but as long as we have a scripture to quote, then we feel like we have an answer. And what I want to say is things can be really black and white and feel really black and white until you start counseling people. Until someone sits in your office and says, I was a man, I've had a surgery, now I'm a woman, now I've given my life to Christ, should I be a man or a woman? And that's the world in which we live in. Until you've sat in an office where literally you've looked at people and said, I, I think divorce is the only thing that we're left with here. And I know you'd feel like, was well, there any way you could counsel someone to divorce? I think if you were in that room, you would have too. Um, <clears throat> when you've sat in a room with people who are Christians and they've been divorced as Christians and then remarried as Christians and now feel like, their marriage can't thrive and they're under condemnation and guilt and shame because really of the stance of a church. And they say, is there any way for us to be blessed? And now they were both married and then they're divorced um, and they had children. Then they divorced and got remarried and had children. And they're like, how do we get the blessing of God on our life? And we think, well, I just turned to scripture. Because what scripture? Well, if you're divorced and remarried, you're committing adultery. So what you should do is you guys should divorce and try to get your spouses to divorce and get remarried and then share joint custody of the new kids. Is that what we should tell them? Or maybe we should tell them, well, there's just no hope for you to ever be blessed. Enjoy your relationship. Is that what we should tell them? 
Or maybe we should tell them, well, you guys get divorced and live celibate lives now in, in your own sin and just share joint custody of these kids. It, you see what I'm saying? It's, sometimes it's really, I think sometimes dogma is easier than discernment in the body of Christ. And rules are a lot easier than relational understanding. And a lot of times Christians say crap they don't know anything about. And so from a pastor who's counseled a lot of situations, uh, when I got these questions, I thought, ah, oh, here is the tension. And this is the tension. Um, I don't believe divorce is a solution. I don't believe it's supposed to be a solution. Um, I don't in any way want to tell someone that I think you should get a divorce, although I've been in situations where that's probably the only thing we were left with. But at the same time, I think the church needs to re-enlist all these people we've labeled as divorced people. Because the church has been really good about when someone's wounded, we just go ahead and execute them. Right? Because when you have the law of God without a relationship with God, you usually kill something he's trying to resurrect. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Let's stone her. And Jesus says, well, if you don't have sin... you." Go ahead. And so I think for me, what I'd like to do is not only re-enlist people who are hurting into the body of Christ and into the army of God, but also bring people who are dealing with condemnation or failure into the hope of Jesus, while at the same time explaining to you if you're in a bad marriage, divorce it in the solution. That's a tension that's kind of hard to walk through. That's why we had to pray for Jesus to help us. Are you with me? Are you are you breathing? Are you with? Me? Because that isn't that kind of the tension. Isn't that kind of the tension? Is that the same grace that um, the same grace that forgives a spouse who's had an affair, committed adultery? The same grace that heals and forgives someone who has addiction or has committed some heinous crime. Same grace. Isn't it interesting in the church that, that we can have someone who's coming to church and, and they're not married, they're living with someone, they have a child together, and then they leave that relationship and they're living with someone else and they have a child together. And then they go to the third relationship and decide they're going to get married and as the church we celebrate. Oh, they're finally doing it right. Praise God. They're getting married. While this person over here that got married the first time and tried to do it right, their marriage failed. And we're like, oh, what's wrong, what's wrong with them? Are you breathing? Are you alive? Are you okay? So, remember, you ask for this. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we forget that as a church, if we do not have a redemptive answer, we don't have a kingdom answer. How much sin did Jesus pay to redeem? And so if we don't have a redemptive answer, we don't have... And I think the problem is the church thinks it's a religious institution instead of a, a kingdom institution. Because in religion, you know, we have these rules and we judge people when they break them and you got to get to God by your performance. And I grew up in a church where people couldn't serve in certain positions if they'd ever been in a divorce. It was like we said, well, you, this is the unpardonable sin. You can be a drug addict and be a deacon, but not a divorcee. You can be addicted to pornography. Just don't tell anybody you can be a deacon. You can have affairs as long as no one knows. 
But because you put on your paper you'd been divorced, you can't serve in this position. That's really good rules from a religious institution. The only problem is Jesus didn't die to create the church of God. He, desi- he died to establish the kingdom of God. Um, just while we're having fun, let me point out a few things from the Bible. <laughs> um, do, you remember the, do you remember the story of Esther and how God used this woman named Esther to, to deliver Israel? Uh, What we don't tell in children's church and we don't put it on the flannel graph is that Esther slept with a man she wasn't married to who was a king who had divorced a queen he didn't like. It's kind of how it went over last night too. I uh, may be the same service. I don't know. I mean, y'all do understand that, right? The, The king decides he just wants to get a divorce. And so he, he banishes the queen. And then he starts interviewing. It was the first episode of The Bachelor. He starts interviewing by sleeping with different women, one of which is Esther, who sleeps with a man she's not married to. And somehow God uses that to deliver Israel. And her uncle encouraged her to. Okay, stories you don't read about in Sunday school. I mean, we have a way. Doesn't religion have a way of kind of shaping it where it's all holy and righteous? But do you realize every book in the Bible was written by someone who had either had, you know, this or done that or killed somebody? I mean, the first five books of the Bible is written by a man who murdered somebody. And I know people, when you talk about divorce, well, Malachi 2.16, Pastor, God hates divorce. He does. Jeremiah 3, God gave Israel a certificate of divorce. It's in your Bible, too. It's in Jeremiah chapter 3. I think around about verse 8, somewhere in there, you're going to see God giving Israel a certificate. God divorced Israel. Okay, well, I think I'll just pray. We'll call it good here. I'm just trying to make the point that sometimes in church, listen to me, sometimes let's not be a group of religious people who grab a piece of a, of a text and use it to execute wounded people. Let's be the people that press in and say, God, what's your heart? And what are you saying? And, and it's okay to embrace people's hurts and pains and flaws, whether we understand them or not. And, and at the same time, if you in any part of this message hear me say, it's okay to get a divorce if things aren't going well for you, you didn't hear what I said. Listen, Julie and I have been through hard times. I, I'm married to a headstrong woman. She's married to an obstinate man. We are both type A personalities. We are highly driven and two of the most opinionated people you've ever met. You think it's like Wally in the Beeb's house over at our house all the time? There's a reason why we use paper plates at our house. And I can tell you there's, there was a time where it seemed like divorce would have been a good option and neither one of us chose that option. And so if you're sitting here, well, I'm not happy. Let me help you with something. God didn't give you a spouse to make you happy. He gave you a spouse to make you holy. So why don't you get on your face and repent and start being holy until you feel happy? 
We need to understand something in our culture. Happiness is an inside job. It's not someone else's responsibility to make me feel better about me. And if you got married so somebody can make you feel better about you, you went into it already in disillusion. Are you with me? So if you're hearing me say, well, it's not going well, you should get a divorce. No, if you come talk to me and tell me our, our relationship isn't going well, then I'm going to tell you divorce isn't a solution. Let's figure out what the solution is, but divorce isn't the solution. And I know people say, well, you know, Jesus said if someone commits adultery, you can get a divorce. I don't think he was giving us an escape clause. And I'm going to talk about that text specifically because that's the one most of you are thinking about. And, and I, I'm telling you right now, I, we have several families that I know of personally where there was a failure, there was a flaw, there was a, an affair. And they, they knuckled down and worked through it and did the hard work and didn't end a marriage when they had the escape clause. And I've watched God bless that. And so um, there's a lot to talk about, and I'm going to do my best. Are you still breathing? Matthew 19 is the text most of you are thinking about. Matthew 19, verse 3, it says, The Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him. Does everybody see the word tested him? Yes, they were good at testing him. By asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, notice the phrase, any cause. He answered, have you read that he who created them from the beginning, so Jesus returns them to creation, created them from the beginning, created them male and female. This is why no law or amendment can redefine marriage. Right? You'd have to amend the Bible. You'd have to get God to change his vote. And, and I'll talk about this later, and this is not dogma. I'm just trying to, you know, it's interesting. We come to church and we say, we want you, we want pastor, please tell us the truth. And then sometimes we get offended when you hear the truth. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Uh, marriage was created by God. It is only between one man and one woman. There is no other way to do it. And there is no other marriage that God can bless. That's just, and, and that's, listen, that's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. And he created it. And this is what we're reading. He created them male and female. It's, I don't, it's very clear here. Male and female. And said, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cling or hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, then why did, Mar why did Moses command, a, a command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said, if such is the case of a man with, with, with his wife, it's better not to marry. I'm going to come back to that because that, to me that's funny. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs, <laughs> Jesus is so cool. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able uh, receive this. Can I give you some context about this scripture? Um, because I think that's most of the time what's, because unfortunately we're Americans and we, we interpret the Bible through Western culture. And it's an Eastern culture. 
And so let me give you some context. Between uh, Malachi and Matthew, there are the silent years. There are 400 years that we don't have any writings, that we don't have any, any record of God speaking or God doing anything, as though uh, the Old Testament is coming to a close and God has set the stage, and now it's a matter of waiting for, the Bible says in Galatians, the fullness of time where God would send his son. So God is waiting, and we have 400 years of silence. When the Old Testament concludes, there are 217 laws that God has given Israel. Israel, uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, etc. Um, there are 217 laws, but at the end of Malachi, there's a group of people that emerge in this 400 years called Pharisees and scribes. These people were not created and institutionalized by God, yet, uh, yet they were religious people who rose to some status of created position. And these people were very legalistic and they love religious laws, so much so that they began to make up their own laws. In fact, they added over 400 laws to the 217 laws that God had already established. So by the, the time that Jesus is born, there are now over 640 different legal ways to keep 10 commandments. Wouldn't you love to go to that church? <laughs> the handbook is eight inches thick of how we can live a righteous life. And so what you also need to understand is this is Eastern culture and Pharisees and scribes hated women. They hated women. There were over 100 laws against women. One of the head Pharisees, Eleazar, actually said he would rather burn the law of God, the Torah, then teach it to a woman. And there was a law that said women could not be taught the Torah. So there's a culture. Now, there's a group of people, scribes and Pharisees. They are religious people. They are legalistic people. They have 640 ways to keep the Ten Commandments. And they hate women. And women are considered to be property. They're considered to be a possession and they have laws against women. Women are not allowed to testify in court because they are considered untrustworthy. Are, are you hearing me? Some of you women are like, now I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pharisees were not even allowed to acknowledge women. That's why when Jesus is at um, Simon the Pharisee's house and he's eating and a woman is washing his feet with her hair, Right? And anointing them with oil, he actually says to Simon, Look at this woman. Why? Because he wouldn't even acknowledge there was a woman in the room. And he has to say, Look, look at this woman and what she's actually doing. And then that's why it was such a slap in the face because he said, You didn't anoint me. You didn't wash my feet. These were all customs. And yet here's this woman. Jesus knew how to stick the knife in and turn it when it came to religious people. Are you, are you with me? And so um, polygamy was legal. Most, uh, most men, most Pharisees would have had probably four to five wives. was kind of the running average. Um, and there was a law called divorce for any cause, which allowed churchmen, Pharisees, to simply decide they wanted to divorce their wife, and it was legal. It was fine. And it was culturally acceptable. And that's why they come to Jesus. Now think about this. They're always trying to test Jesus. And they come to Jesus who is supposed to be this godly man who teaches about the kingdom and about heaven and about God. And now they're going to ask him because they know he's, he's going to give a different opinion 
than what the law says. And the law says I can divorce anybody anytime I want to for any cause. And it's just okay. And so that's the context that they come. And Jesus in verse four points them back and says, Hey, God created male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man's going to leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two are going to become one flesh, right? So they're no longer two, but they're one and God's joined them and no man can separate them. And so God basically says, you can divorce them, but you can't ever separate yourself from them. And it's not a piece of paper that marries you. And it's not a piece of paper that divorces you, but it's God that does something supernatural. And then he gives them something that they're not used to, which is saying, Hey, if you've divorced someone, you're guilty of adultery. And that's why Peter, one of the old, his disciples, I think it had to be Peter because he's known for saying stuff. That's why Peter said, wait a second. I mean, he freaks out when he hears this, right? Wait a second, Jesus. If we can't divorce them, it's better we don't just it's better that we don't get married. And Jesus responds, I love this. Well, you can be a eunuch. You can make yourself a eunuch, you can be born a eunuch, or someone else can help you be a eunuch. And then I think Peter says, well, marriage, marriage seems like a good option, Jesus. I think, John, don't you think marriage is good? Yeah, I think it's good. Thomas, you think marriage is good? I doubt it. <laughs> and so you have to understand that, and they're saying, hey, well, why did Moses allow us to get a divorce? And Jesus said, because you have heart problem, hardness of heart. But Jesus said it wasn't this way from the beginning. In other words, this was, this was never, never the plan of God. And, and it, it is funny because, you know, they do say, well, man, if we can't get rid of what, again, you got to think women were possessions. If I can't just get rid of them at will, his own disciples said, then we shouldn't get married. And, and I'd just like to clarify something Jesus said to, to answer that. Okay, if you don't want to be married, be a eunuch. In other words, um, just in case you've wondered, as far as Jesus is concerned, there's only one place where sex works. It's when a man is married to a woman. Now, I know it's a huge cultural issue, you know. Um, but there again, you asked me to tell you the truth, not ask you what uh, substantiates your lifestyle. And so Jesus said sex is, is for marriage. Um, so I think Jesus, without a doubt, let me just kind of skip to the bottom line. Without a doubt, he is guarding the sanctity of marriage and expressing value for marriage. But I think what we're missing, too, is that Jesus is actually also expressing a value for women. And we miss this with Jesus, but he was very good at valuing women in a culture that didn't. And, and he is explaining that, wait a second, women... Because, see, in, in this culture, a woman could not divorce a man. But men could at will divorce women. That was the culture. Are you with me? In fact, I think we miss this. The woman at the well, when Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, well, I've, you've actually had five husbands and the man that you're with now you're not married to. We think Jesus is confronting her promiscuity. What he's actually doing is trying to heal her rejection. She had five men reject her and the man she was living with now didn't value her enough to marry her. 
Jesus isn't actually confronting her promiscuity. He is trying to heal a heart full of rejection. Because Jesus has a value for, for women. And so I think Jesus is trying to tell these guys, hey, you can't just get rid of women. And when you do, you're guilty of sin. And that's kind of the context. So with that, I'll just give you a couple things and, and then I'll answer some questions. But Jesus, number one, Jesus had an extreme value for marriage. And I want you to understand that Jesus had an extreme value for marriage. And he talks about from the beginning, God created them. We've read it two times already. But here's what he said is marriage, and this is what he clarified that I think is a great point. Marriage is a God-created institution, not a man-created institution. That God actually, God actually created marriage. It's the only thing in Genesis, the only thing that God found wasn't good was a man by himself. And God created marriage to further uh, his kingdom. Marriage is a representation of a, of a covenant keeping God to the people that he loves. In fact, Marriage is the closest thing we have to the Trinity on the earth. Remember, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me give you a picture. In heaven, what do you have in heaven? God existing in three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have a Trinity in heaven. And then God created something on earth where he had Adam was a Christ-like man, Eve was a spirit or Holy Spirit like woman, and then God held them together, the Father. And on earth, you had the same looking thing that you had in heaven, a trinity, if you will, on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the representation, really, of God in the earth, and it's why there's an extreme value placed on it in so that marriage is supposed to reprioritize your life. For this reason, you'll leave the closest bond you have, father and mother, you will leave that bond, it will become less of a priority than this bond. By the way, I just said something that can help a lot of marriages. The relationship with mom and dad is a lower priority than the relationship with husband or wife. We have to leave. The reason some people can never cleave to their spouse is they never left home. Let me help you with something. Your, your mother is not your best marriage counselor. Praise the Lord. And so, so, but marriage, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but marriage is God's remedy for the fall of man. Because we are the bride of Christ who is redeemed by her husband. Are you following? And so, so God obviously has an extreme value for marriage, and marriage becomes a supernatural union. And I think this is what we miss. People say, well, is a piece of paper that important when we're talking about marriage? And, and what I would like to say is, it's not the piece of paper. But the Bible says that God joins together a husband and a wife. God joins them. The reason you go to an altar is not to get a piece of paper. It's so that you get the blessing of God and you get his supernatural surgery to where he begins to knit together the heart and soul of two people so that they're properly bonded. Really, honestly, that's what sex is for. 
Sex is not for fun on Friday night. I don't know if you know that. Um, it can be fun on Friday night. It can be fun most any time. But... <laughs> You were thinking it too. Uh, well, at least the men were. But um, but but God actually gave us sex to consummate a union, to knit our souls together. We call it a soul tie. That's why sex outside of marriage is so dangerous and painful. Have you ever glued two pieces of construction paper together, and then tried to separate them? So you take a red piece and a blue piece and you glue them together and you wait for it to dry and then you decide I'm going to pull the red piece and the blue piece back apart. Have you ever done that experiment? Do you see what happens there? You get blotches of red on blue and blotches of blue on red. Why? Because what you've joined together you really can't separate again. This is why, mar- this is why divorce, according to psychologists, divorce is the most... Um, stress-inducing event a human can walk through, the only thing greater than that would be the loss of a spouse or a child. Because you've, you've united your souls, and now you've got to try to tear them back apart. And that's why divorce is painful. And that's why I don't think divorce is a solution. I think uh, divorce as a solution is kind of like I have an infection. Instead of antibiotics, I'm just going to go ahead and do an amputation. It's not really a solution. It stops something, but it, it ends something, but it doesn't really solve the, the problem. Are you with me? And I think if anyone has walked through a divorce, they understand the pain of it. At least the people I've counseled do. It's a very, very painful. And if someone got divorced and they said it wasn't painful, then they're not in reality. I think that's what Jesus is saying, that God joins us together and he knits our souls together. And when there's a divorce, there's a tearing that has to take place to separate. And it's very painful. And that's why I think we should value marriage. And I think that's why we should fight for marriage. And I think that's why we should work at marriage. Someone asked me one time, how do you spell marriage? I said, W-O-R-K. Right? Because can we just be honest that, that marriage will test our, our sanity and our Christianity in ways we never thought possible. And at the same time, it's worth it. Right? At the same time, there's so much joy and happiness and, and children and all these great blessings that come out of it. But there are seasons where it's like, well, dear God, this is hard. And I've found anything worth anything's hard. Right? And, and so Jesus has an extreme value for marriage. But the question that I had to answer was, can a believer who is divorced have a marriage that is blessed by God? Can a believer who is divorced have a marriage? And the question really is, if I'm a Christian and get a divorce, and then I remarry, can God bless my marriage? And I think there's a lot of people that want to know the answer to that because I think the enemy is really good at using the Word of God to beat the hell out of us or maybe beat the hell into us. And I think we should use the Word of God on the enemy to beat the hell out of him and, um, <clears throat> or beat him all the way back to hell, whichever makes the context work for that. And, um, and I think most... I, I, I'll say the answer, but I'll, I'll say it in a minute. Let me kind of walk through something. And the first thing I think you need to understand is what is the context of the conversation in Matthew 19? Because people will say, well, if you've gotten a divorce, you've committed adultery. 
or you're committing adultery because you're going to be remarried, and so you're living an adulterous relationship. And it's such a legalistic response, but we use the words of Jesus, who was grace and truth, but not legalistic. And I want to ask you the question, before we grab this text and... and <laughs> Before we grab this text and execute our wounded, why don't we understand what's happening in the text? Because what was the question they asked Jesus? Is there a law? What does the law say? Right? They didn't ask Jesus what's the heart of God. They asked Jesus what does the law say? Right? Do you remember this? I can read it to you. It's right there um, and said... Uh, Verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3, the Pharisees came to him to, number one, test him. And they asked him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? See, they, they were asking, is it lawful? Now, this is not a new conversation Pharisees had with Jesus. They many times tested him and asked him, What's the law say? And the reason was because he lived a lifestyle in many ways, and a lot of what he did conflicted with their laws. Like, for instance, healing someone on the Sabbath. And they chastised him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Right? And he said, well, if you have an ox in a ditch, do you you not go out and rescue it? I mean, like, it doesn't make sense that... And he says, God created the Sabbath for people, not the people for the Sabbath. And so God, he's conflicted with some of their 640 laws. And so they're asking him, what does the law say? And, and to that question, it's kind of like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. They're constantly trying to catch him in something they can criticize him for, right? Right? This one was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stoned because they knew Jesus would say, well, don't stone her. And if he says don't stone her, he's in conflict with the law. But instead, Jesus, like the roadrunner, kind of me, me, and he just takes off and he says, I tell you what, whoever's not sinned, go ahead and throw a rock. And then he bent down in the, the ground and I think he started making a list of their sins because it said he started riding on the ground and it says they left oldest to youngest. I think you started with the oldest. Well, Sam, uh, you've, had a, you've committed adultery like 18 times, so we'll start with that. Um, Bob, you know, you cheated on your taxes last year. And I think, you know, I think he just started working his way through, and they said, well, it!" and they walked away. Right? And so he is constantly to the people. Now, why? Um, Because to the people who were Pharisees and scribes, they thought they could be made right with God by their behavior. Well, I've kept the law. Remember the rich young ruler? All these things I've kept since my youth. And Jesus said, okay, then we'll go sell everything you have and give to the poor. See, to the people who thought they could be made right with God by their own behavior, Jesus always gave them law they couldn't keep. Because truthfully, none of us can keep the law. The law wasn't given to make us right with God. According to Romans 3, the law was given so that every mouth would be shut up and we would all become guilty before God so that we would receive grace. And so every time they ask him for law, he gave, like, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you lust after someone, you're guilty of adultery. You've said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your neighbor, love your enemy also. 
You heard it said, don't murder. I say, if you take someone's happiness, you're guilty of hellfire. He always, to the legalistic people, gave them law they couldn't keep. And Jesus is looking at a group of men who have all divorced women and telling them and all saying, we divorce women by the law of God and we are right with God. And Jesus, we don't need you. And he is looking at a bunch of foolish, legalistic, arrogant, prideful people who are guilty as the same sin as everybody else. And he's saying, oh, really? Because if you've ever divorced a woman, you are guilty of adultery. Because he's trying to make the point to legalistic people that you cannot earn the grace and favor of God. You have to receive it as a gift. So what's the standard? Well, the law is always the standard of God. No adultery, no murder, right? No lying. That's always the standard of God. What is he saying from the beginning? What was the, God never created divorce. God didn't want there to be a divorce. Adam and Eve were perfect people. They would have had a perfect marriage. But as soon as sin enters in the world, you have the first marital conflict, the first murder, right? And the first son banished away from God's presence. Things go south when sin and death entered the world. So God didn't create divorce because he didn't plan on there being a divorce. And so Jesus is saying from the beginning, God had this plan, one man and one woman and happily ever after in the garden, running around, eating fruit salad, living naked, petting cheetahs. That's the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> but we messed it up. And so you need to understand when Jesus says, well, hey, if you commit adultery, or if you divorce, you're guilty of adultery. We need to understand Jesus isn't saying there's no hope. We need to understand he's not saying there's any redemption. He is giving law to people that think they can be right with God by the law. Grace is what Jesus gave the rest of us. And the same grace that can forgive an affair and the same grace that can, can forgive an addiction and the same grace that can overcome a depression and the same grace that can forgive every sin is the same grace that can cover divorce. Listen, I'm not blessed today because I've never sinned. I'm blessed today because of the grace of Jesus. And if I can be blessed today with all of my sin... How could we ever tell someone, because you've gone through a divorce, the blessing of God couldn't be upon them? How could we in any good conscience with the context of the heart of God and understanding the price of the grace of God, not look at someone and say, hey, divorce is bad. It hurts. It's painful. But God's grace is bigger than any failing. God's grace is bigger than any sin. And you don't have to live the rest of your life under the condemnation, the weight, and the guilt of the law of God because grace has freed us from the law of God. And if you've walked through a divorce, it's not a solution. It's not what we should aim for. It is not a remedy. It is hell on earth. But if you've walked through one, yes, God can forgive, He can redeem, and He can restore, and God can bless your union if you'll give it to Him. <clears throat> Because grace is always the answer for those of us who can't keep the law. Are you with me? That, that said, let me answer a few questions. The first one was, are you still breathing? Four of you are. Um, <laughs> again, I, I always feel like I should say this. If you're in a bad marriage, divorce it and your solution. 
If things aren't working out for you, divorce isn't the answer. I, I, I would probably, it would be very crazy circumstances before I would ever agree that divorce was the only option we had. And I've seen a couple. Um, and I know some of you are like, oh my God, you, di- you didn't sit in the room for hours. You don't know what we were dealing with. Um, and so, um, but, but I want you to know if you walk away from this and feel like I'm for divorce or think it's a solution or think it's a remedy, you didn't hear me at all. But if you walk away from this feeling like I've gone through a divorce and there is hope and healing and God can bless me, then I think you heard me. Um, let me answer some questions I got. These were good questions. Number one is the question I just answered. Uh, can you divorce and remarry with God's blessing? And I think the answer to that is, is, um, is yeah. The next question is, if you've been married and divorced multiple times, will God give you a mate? I think this is, um, this is if you've been married and divorced multiple times, will God give you a mate? And, and here's, here's what I would say to this is, um, let's kind of back the train up a couple of times. Um, if you've been divorced and remarried, will God give you a mate? I think if it's the desire of your heart, God redeems and delivers, and you can ask God for that. So I think that's the short, easy answer. But let me back up and just say, God is not going to send someone to marry a broken person. God, God loves the person he's sending you enough to say, hey, before we think about a new mate, let's think about what we need healing and restoration in our own lives for so that God could trust us with a new mate. God's a steward of people above anything else. And, and can I just tell you, a new marriage is not a remedy for a failed marriage. I've counseled a lot of those. They don't go well. I call them rebound marriages. You know, I was in a bad marriage, and then I found someone in church that looked like they were nicer than her, and I got rid of this one and got that one, and now this isn't going well. <laughs> marriage doesn't fix your problem. <laughs> it just complicates it. How many know marriage will help you find what's wrong with you faster than anything else? <laughs> and so here's what I want to say is, have you, have, if you've been through a divorce... Have you accepted responsibility for, for the brokenness you had in the marriage or the brokenness you have coming out of the marriage? And have you invited God into that brokenness? Have you identified it, asked God to come into it? And it, it, are you and God working on what's broken with you? Nine times out of the ten, the way you can fix every marriage is say, okay, you stop telling him what's wrong with him. You stop telling her what's wrong with you. You go figure out what's wrong with you, and you go figure out what's wrong with you. And when you fix you and you fix you, this is going to be easier. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think you, you have to take responsibility. And, and I know some people are like, well, you know, but I, I, you know, I married this guy and he had an affair, and I married this guy and he had an affair, and... Okay, let me help you with something. What's broken in you is something's broken in you that keeps attracting you to the brokenness in them. And if you don't fix you, you're going to find another guy that's going to have an affair. Like, let me help you. There's a problem in the selection process. And you're selecting. So your selector meter doesn't work. And it's because you got brokenness in here. And what you're trying to get out of them keeps drawing you to the person that's trying to get something else out of something else. 
And so will God give you a, a spouse? Sure, if you take responsibility for you and if you deal with the brokenness of you. Uh, number five, can you leave a marriage if you feel your spouse isn't trying? No. Because your spouse probably feels like you're not trying. What you need to do is find a good counselor. This, honestly, so what you need to do is find a good counselor where we can learn to be honest. And it, you know the the and I'm not trying to be rude. I, I've got had this. Well, I don't feel like my, my my spouse is trying. I don't feel like I don't feel like okay. Well, what your spouse is or isn't doing it based on your feeling. Here's another number one problem in marriage. I feel like they. You've already messed up. Because so many times the brokenness in us, the rejection in us. Listen, I can feel rejected by Julie. That doesn't mean she's rejected me. So what I feel inside of me doesn't mean that's what she is or isn't doing. Where's the brokenness? It's what I feel inside of me. Your feelings don't tell you the truth. They just tell you the truth about what's going on with you. Okay. In the fall, your emotions were broken too. And now our feelings tell us lies all the time, right? When I feel rejected or whatever, I always ask, well, I wonder why I feel that way. Because nine times out of the ten, it's something going on in me. It has nothing to do with what someone else did or didn't do. Okay, well. So uh, after divorce, uh, what do you do about loss and rebuilding trust? I think it's a great question. First of all, you need to admit there is loss. Like I said, the, if, you're, if, you're in, in, if you're dating a divorced person, you should ask them, hey, what was lost in your divorce? And if they say, well, half my money, run. <laughs> run. Right? Run. <laughs> and if your date, all they do is talk about their ex and how terrible they are, run. Because <laughs> you're dealing with someone that's broken and they don't even know it. Right? Um, because here's, let me help you something. Any good forgiveness always results in grief. We don't teach this in the church, but we should. Forgiveness is not, well, God forgive him, I forgive him, praise the Lord, amen. That's not forgiveness. That's words. Forgiveness is, I've done an inventory of what this cost me. And I'm going to have to take the, the responsibility for what I've lost. And now I'm going to forgive them for the loss that I have. And now I'm going to go to God. I'm going to grieve the loss and let God heal me. That's what forgiveness looks like. You can't forgive someone if you don't know what it cost you. Are you with me? And so, so um, on this question, what do you do about loss? Well, you need to say, hey, in this, in this divorce, I lost my trust. I lost because if you don't admit you've lost your trust, you're going to get married to someone and constantly berate them because you have a trust issue. Right? And you won't know you're doing it because you're hurt and you're broken and you didn't really take time to say, well, hey, I, I lost my trust and marriage only works in trust and I'm going to have to trust to be married. And so what am I going to do about rebuilding trust? And that's going to be a process. Maybe I lost my confidence. Maybe I lost some of my identity. Maybe I lost how I see myself. But you need to be honest about what you've actually lost so that God can heal and restore so that in your next marriage, hopefully your last marriage, you're walking into it as whole as you can be with a good inventory of where your hot buttons are so that the first time he doesn't return your text in three minutes, you don't assume he's at a strip club. 
I feel like I'm helping people. So you have to take the responsibility to recover what was lost. And then number seven, I thought this was, it was to me a hard question, but I understand it. It says, I've been divorced multiple times and I'm battling with failure and feeling God doesn't love me. And I thought, well, only in a religious culture could we get someone to feel this bad about themselves. Um, But I just thought, you know, for fun, since the question was, And I say that lightly, obviously, it's a serious issue. But it says, I feel like God doesn't love me. I actually pulled a couple of scriptures that God spoke to Israel when Israel had failed. And I felt like reading this question, someone feels like they've failed. And this is what God said to Israel in Hosea 14.4. By the way, this is when Hosea was guilty of adultery. Or for an Israel, not Hosea. Israel was guilty of adultery. They had definitely failed. It was definitely their fault. In Hosea 14.4, he said, I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. And I just feel like if you feel like you fail, maybe you need to read how God responds to people he loves when they fail. Because he says, I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. And so if that's you, I hope you write that scripture down and read it about once a day for the next hundred days and understand that God's grace is so much bigger than any mistake we can ever make. And God loves us freely. That's what the cross is all about. God loves us freely. Amen. I hope this has been helpful. Why don't you stand and we'll call her good for today. I feel like we've done enough work and I've got enough strange looks and Uh, praise Jesus. And uh, I, I want you to understand that God is so good and God loves us so much. And divorce is never a good solution. Not at all. Um, it's not God's plan. I don't think it's, it's God's best. I know there are times when there, there wasn't another option given to a lot of people. And uh, I know there are times when that's the way it ends. But I want you to understand God is His grace just like His grace in every situation, His grace is sufficient in that one, and He covers and redeems and heals. And today, if if you're one of those Christian marriages that ended in divorce, you're remarried and you're wondering, can God bless this one? Or maybe you feel like, I've talked to a lot of people that said, I kind of feel like a second-class marriage. Like God's allowed it, but He won't bless it. And I'm going to pray a blessing over you today. I'm going to pray a blessing over every marriage because God, the whole purpose of the cross was so he could fully bless every person and every marriage and every situation, no matter our flaws, failings, our sins. And we need to walk in the fullness of the grace of God. Amen? Will you bow your heads? God, I thank you for your word. And most importantly, I thank you for your grace. And God, we, we understand the value of marriage And God, I hope I haven't said anything that's given anyone a license to a divorce. Um, But God, at the same time, I hope that I've said something that's brought hope and healing to brokenness. And God, I, I certainly pray for the people in this room, God, that they would hear the truth they need to hear today by your Holy Spirit. And God, that you would heal and you would deliver and you would set free and you would restore and you would redeem. 
God, that you would love freely your bride, your people.